This Christmas, we've been looking at backstories of Christmas. We've seen the angels, we've seen the light backstory, and we've seen half of the risk story of the backstory of Christmas. And today we want to come back to finish off some of the risks that we can detect in the text and deduce from the text as we understand the history that was going on at that time. Let me quickly review the risk that we cited uh, last time we were together in the Word. We said that the shepherds risked. We said that in Luke 2, uh, 15 and 16, they risked in the following way. And it came about that when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to, to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see these things that had happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So they risked their flocks, they risked their livelihood, and they went. But it wasn't just the shepherds who risked, it was also the wise men who risked. We talked about them last week, and in Matthew chapter 2, verse 12, we read, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Uh, we talked about how they risked on the journey, before the journey, during the journey, and after the journey. And one of the biggest risks they took was they double-crossed Herod at God's direction and didn't go back to tell Herod where the whereabouts of the baby Jesus because they were informed by heaven that he was not intending to worship Christ, but in fact to exterminate Christ in violence. Shepherds risk, the wise men risk. We pointed out that the majority, if not all, of the Old Testament believers and all of the New Testament believers lived a life of risk. I just want to zoom in on one Old Testament character, those of you who may be teenagers or just out of your teenage years. That was Daniel. He was deported to Babylon, 16-year-old Jew. He went there in purpose before he was tempted with anything of Babylon's culture and food and so forth that he would not defile himself. Before he ever got there, 16 years old, he committed himself to honoring Yahweh, Jehovah God of the Jews. And listen to how he and uh, some of his Jewish friends, how they risked. Daniel 3, 4 to 6. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the, so the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning furnace. That's a risk. <laughs> you don't bow down to the idol, they tell you what's going to happen to you. But bless these Jewish lads, bless these Jewish teenagers for the faith they had in God and for the uh, preparedness they had to risk. A little later in Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. It's a slam dunk, slam dunk. their answer. They're saying, <laughs> it's already settled in our hearts and minds. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love that. Teenage Old Testament young men who risked. And we said that when you look you stick your finger in the Old Testament anywhere, the New Testament anywhere, you'll find followers of God in both Testaments who risked. They demonstrated their full trust and, and complete uh, faith in God by risking. 
God asked them to risk, and they risked without batting their eyes, without debating it, without contending the command. They risked. And so we've said that if we are going to be people of faith in 2021, if we're going to be people who trust God in a new year that we all hope will be better than the last year, we're going to have to risk it many different ways. So the shepherds risked, the wise men risked, Old and New Testament believers risked, and we talked about how uh, Joseph risked. Joseph risked um, his name reputation. He risked uh, raising God as that beautiful solo saying about that, that he would have to be the human foster father of, of the Christ, the Son of God. And how would he love that child? How would he protect that child? How would he teach that child? He risked. Joseph stepped up and risked. He didn't set Mary aside in a breaking the engagement to marry her because she was with child by someone other than him. He risked. And we said the Lord Jesus Christ risked supremely last time. We said that in John 1, 11, he came to his own. That was a risk. And those who were his own did not receive him. He took that risk in obedience to his father that we might be saved. And now we come maybe to, apart from Jesus Christ as the uh, apex of risk, we come to the human uh, risk taker that was par excellence, the risk taker that, humanly speaking, took the greatest risk. And you know who I'm speaking about. I'm speaking about the Virgin Mary. I'm speaking about a late teenaged girl that took every risk necessary in faith to follow God's flawless and miraculous plan. And so the Virgin Mary, let's consider some of the ways that she risked. She, she risked to believe the angel's announcement and prediction that was made to her in private. She risked taking that on face value as being from her God. And that was a risk because a medical virgin, of course, had never had a baby before that, and a medical virgin has never had a baby since that. And so what the angel told her was remarkable, startling, unheard of. And yet, we read in Luke 1, 46 to 49, and said, and Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you see the past tense? It is so certain in her faith and risk-taking that he has done great things for me. She knows it's, it's happening. That's beautiful. And so uh, she risked taking the angel's announcement at faith value. She also risked when she went to Joseph, her betrothed, and announced to him that she was going to have a baby. And what she risked there was that he would set her aside uh, in that culture called the divorce, that circumstance. In our culture, it's more like breaking off an engagement. That was a risk to her. Why? Because she probably would lose out on marrying the man she loved, Joseph, if she made the risk of telling him she was with child. Would he believe that the angel had said what he had said to her? 
Would he take it as face value that this was God's baby, not some human man's baby? Would she lose out on the opportunity to actually get married and live with and raise a family with the man she loved? Or if she said to Joseph that she was with child, she may have risked losing out on getting married at all. Would another man want to marry her if her story was that she had had a baby out of wedlock? These were risks that she took. She took the risk and accepted the risk of having the stigma of having the baby without being married. That would mean she would have been shunned. Now, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she was shunned for other sexual promiscuity of having many husbands and men she lived with that were not her husband. But in that culture, if you were sexually promiscuous, there was a shunning that took place. Like the woman at the well in Samaria in John 4, she very easily could have experienced the cold shoulder from all of her girlfriends, from her family, from the townspeople she lived with. She was taking a risk to say, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. And then, (laughs) this Christmas is the first time I've thought about this. Maybe you've all thought of this before I did. But can you imagine the sibling rivalry in Joseph and Mary's family? (laughs) I mean, you've got the son of God, the firstborn to the family who never sins, ever. Not in thought, word, or deed. And then you've got all his half-brothers and sisters in the family who sinned plenty like all of us did and do. Can you imagine the loggerheads they could be at with each other? (laughs) Incredible. She signed up for that. She took a risk. But there's more. She took a risk at the mean-spirited slander that she knew that she and Joseph would have to endure because of the gift of Jesus. I said last Sunday that Jesus was called in Nazareth the ugly word, the swear word that starts with B, when you don't know who your father is. He was called that. They mocked and derided him for uh, his beginnings. And would she be abandoned by her family? Would they look on the scorn that would be uh, levied toward her, and would they say, I don't want a part of that? I'll disown her. We'll disown her. We'll just distance ourselves from that whole social headache. I don't know, but I know she risked. Risk and risk and risk. She risked. And she was a teenager. She hadn't gotten everything figured out yet. She was growing into womanhood. She was young, like many of you today are young. I'm so glad to see you here. She didn't have it all together. She wasn't mature at every level yet. But bless her, she risked. She accepted that risk. And when you think about it and step back from the first century miracle of Christmas to the miracle of Christmas repeated and celebrated in 2020, we all live a life of risk as followers of Jesus Christ. I mean, it makes sense. If he risks supremely, then to follow him, we're also going to have to risk. We will not have a risk-free discipleship experience with Jesus Christ. People will look upon us and they'll think we're strange. They won't want to be around us. We're too convicting. We may lose job opportunities, school advancements, money, 
uh, opportunities. We are going to risk. It's the nature of the beast. It was A.W. Tozer who wrote on the paradox of the Christian life when he said this, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. That's you. (laughs) That's me. That's the way it is. That's the way it ought to be. And people who don't know anything about this life or this Savior, they can't accept it. They don't want it. And they don't want to be around people who do accept it and live with those realities. And so Mary rest. She rest um, in many different ways, and praise God she did. She obeyed the Lord and took the gift as it was offered to her. So in this two-part series sermon on risk, we've seen the shepherds risk, the wise men risk, the Old and New Testament believers all risk, Joseph risk, Mary risk, and let's finish off the point that Jesus himself risked. More than anyone else in the story, Jesus Christ risked. The Son of God became the babe of Bethlehem. The Savior of the cross became the scorn of Nazareth. He risked. And what were the risks that the Lord Jesus took? Well, he risked rejection at all levels. When he came to be the Savior of the world, he risked at all levels. The human level, when he did his miracles, they said it was Beelzebub. Power, Satan. When Pilate, the coward that he was, wanted to release Jesus because he found no judicial fault in him, offered them a renowned, infamous criminal, and they cried out, Barabbas, let Barabbas go. Crucify Jesus. When Jesus Christ came, he risked rejection. Human rejection, satanic rejection. When In Matthew 4, when Satan tempted Christ in the wilderness, and you remember what Jesus said at, at, the, at the giving of every temptation to sin. Thus saith the Lord, it is written, it is written. So Jesus risked rejection by humans, by Satan and his demons, and even risked rejection from his father. That intimate, unbroken intimacy in the Godhead from eternity past was broken blocked temporarily when Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree. And that's what you know when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because of our sin was on Jesus at that moment. But Jesus Christ also risked pain at all levels. He risked physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, and psychological pain. In Luke 22, 39 to 42, it says, and he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. It's just before the cross. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. What agony Jesus Christ must have felt praying in Gethsemane, knowing that that temporary uh, blockage of fellowship between his father was was just uh, hours away. Didn't just risk rejection, didn't just risk pain. He also risked the ability to defend himself. Think about that. In the kenosis, he temporarily set aside the use of some of his divine attributes. Willingly. And so he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him. He could have killed them by the word of his mouth as God, but he temporarily set aside the use of those divine abilities and attributes so as not to defend himself. That's risk. It says in Philippians 2 about this kenosis, this self-emptying of uh, Christ, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's death, and then there's death on a cross. He was willing to humble himself, to set aside temporarily the use of some of his divine attributes to die on the cross. He also, Jesus Christ also risked in taking up and leaving a global task to, to 11 guys. <laughs> None of them were, were rabbinically trained. None of them went to any theology theological school. None of them were kings or royalty or wealthy. None of them would have stood out in a lineup as being people to follow and to revere in the culture. They were just ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, and so on, political zealot, etc. Jesus Christ risked to leave the job of global evangelization and disciple-making to those men and to us and has no plan B. Christ and the Father in heaven have no plan B. They had no plan B when Jesus gave the original disciples the the great commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. There was no plan B. Either they did it or it didn't get done. And they did it. Dying martyrs' deaths in so doing turned the, the known world of that time upside down with the message of Jesus Christ. And now it's been passed down to us here in this century to do the same, to globally win the lost and to globally make them disciples of Christ, fully committed followers of Christ. The Lord willing, if he spares life for me and you, we'll get into some messages in the new year starting January the 3rd about what a healthy church is. And essentially, a healthy church has the mission of making disciples fully committed followers of Christ. I look forward to sharing the word with you on that topic in the new year, as I say, if God should will it. 
And so uh, we need to remember that this whole concept of risk is often the, the wrapping paper that goes around the gift we give to God of obedience. The gift we give to God is our obedience in all matters, in all times, in all ways. But we gift wrap that gift of obedience by risk. Most often, we gift wrap our obedience gift to God with risk. Proper obedience demands risk. And Jesus Christ's risk was full and not partial, and he left the consequences of his obedience with the Father. He knew that when he would be crucified and dead, having paid for sin, that he was counting on the Father to raise him back to new life, as the Father said from eternity past to Jesus in the Godhead. And as the Old Testament prophets predicted, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would not remain dead, but he would be raised to life and a life that he gives to us. And so what do you risk? (laughs) This is all kind of theory so far. You know, okay, Jesus Christ risked, Mary risked, Joseph risked, the shepherds risked, the wise men risked. Okay, they all risked. What we say now is, so what? And I've been telling you, you're going to have to risk. It's in the DNA of being a follower of Jesus. If he risked, then you're going to have to risk. What might that look like? What might it look like in 2021 for us who follow Jesus to risk? Well, let's take it in this area of school. those of you who are students, could it be that to honor God in 2021 as a college student, a high school student, or an elementary school student, that you would purpose to not do your schoolwork at all on Sundays and to trust God to do in six days what you think requires seven days? That was a life-changing experience for Beth and I at Dallas Seminary. In that grad school, is a lot of homework, a lot of reading, and we just, as a matter of course, worked on our theological homework Monday through Sunday, including Sunday, every week. And somebody said to us, not as a legalist, but just as a challenge, he said, do you think you could trust God to do what you need to do in six days instead of seven? He says, I th- try it. And we did. <laughs> And it made Sundays, which I know is not the Sabbath, but it made Sundays, our rest day, a very precious time because we could focus on the Lord. We weren't thinking about reading for soteriology or anything else. We could be with our friends, and we weren't thinking about our schoolwork. Maybe you could honor and take a risk this semester coming in January by setting aside a day, I suggest Sunday, where you don't do schoolwork. And you limit the efforts you put on your schoolwork to the other six days. Try it. What about your marriage? Some of us are in marriages. I'm not. I use the royal we. Some of us are in marriages where there's a lot of unforgiveness. One spouse is offended by many things, perhaps, and the other spouse who did the offending has never asked for forgiveness. What about risking, if you're the spouse who was offended, to before God forgive your mate, even if he doesn't ask for forgiveness. That's a risk. You may just see God melt his unkind heart towards you when you go first, not a stalemate. Well, who's going to forgive first? That's a risk. What about with money? In the time of COVID, it's, it's hard on everyone. 
especially hard on some. Could it be that we would risk to, in some manner, in some amount, known only to you and the Lord? I don't, I don't know what anybody gives to this ministry. I never want to know what anybody gives to this ministry. But if you could set aside a little something as an act of faith and risk each week. I'll leave that with you. What about, uh, what about sacrifices that we make that are big? I'm going to tell you about one. In the second church I pastored in Canada, there was a physician. His name was Dr. Brian McNall. He was uh, a leading physician in Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, which was the leading hospital in Canada with respect to infectious diseases. And Dr. McNall was near the very top of all the doctors at Mount Sinai Hospital in infectious diseases. Dr. McNall loved Jesus Christ and his word and was burdened for the people of the world who did not know Jesus Christ as Savior yet. And so the head of the infectious disease department at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, the only person that was over Dr. McNall, Dr. McNall said to that person, I am going to quit and become a medical missionary to Vietnam in six months' time. I'm just giving you notice. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so three months later, Dr. McNall went back to the doctor and said, I'm now leaving to be a medical missionary in Vietnam in three months. I don't think you've done anything about replacing me. Yeah, 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 yeah. A month. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the day of Dr. McNall's final employment at Mount Sinai Hospital, he went to his boss and said, well, this is it. This is my last day. Enjoyed working with you. I'll be going off to Vietnam in two weeks. And the boss says, sit down. He says, you've been playing me for six months because you want to raise. You've been playing me, and I know it. No one would leave the prestigious doctoring position you have in Toronto and the wage you make to go to Vietnam to be a medical doctor. Are you kidding me? You take me as a fool? Dr. Manon says, you can say whatever you want, but I'm going, to, I'm going to Hanoi in two weeks, and I don't think you've replaced me yet. And the doctor says, okay, let's get to the point. I'll double your salary. <laughs> the doctor says, doesn't matter how much money you give me. You can't give me enough money to disobey God. Well, what are you going to do in Vietnam? I'm going to be a doctor in Vietnam. Who's going to pay you? People on, that support my missionary work in churches around the world. Oh, really? Yeah. You see, Dr. McNall, that's a, a very large example of something that God calls each of us to do, that when we discern the will of God for our lives, in Dr. McNall's case, being a doctor in Vietnam, you chase it for all you're worth, and you take every risk necessary to do it. And you don't let money stop you. You don't let prestige stop you. You don't let even common sense stop you in some degree. I'll never forget when I asked him, what did the doctor say when you said you didn't care about money and you are going in two weeks? He said, hoi vey. He's Jewish. Hoi vey. He, he, he thought there's nobody like a Dr. McNall. But God had made a Dr. McNall a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. How about us? It may be, not be that dramatic. It may not be that 
uh, high profile. But Mary, privately, the angel came to Mary and basically gave her an assignment that she never even thought was possible. Gave her an assignment that she knew would rock her world. And she accepted the assignment. I don't know what God is telling each of us to do in 2020, but I believe whatever he's telling us to do individually and as a church will probably require risk. Are we prepared to make it? In closing, I want to give you some homework. I want to give you some homework after the holiday dust settles. I'd like you to get quiet with God and make a timeline of all the major risks you have made to obey God to this point in your life. For me, I walked away from two funeral businesses in 1979. In 1982, I enrolled at Dallas Seminary without money to pay for it. In 1987, I accepted a call to pastor a small church in a small town. I never lived in a small town in my life. In 1991 and 96, we entered the risk of trying to adopt children privately. In 2008 and 14, I resigned pastorates that were going fine to move to other pastorates that I knew nothing about. And in 2019, I enrolled one of our children in a very expensive university without money to pay for it. That's my timeline. I would like you to make your own timelines. What have you done by way of risking in your life so far to do the will of God? And then when you get that timeline, I would like you to talk to somebody about it not in pride, but in, in recognizing the grace of God. Maybe you go out for a Coke with two masks on, or whatever, telephone, whatever, uh, WhatsApp. I don't care how you do it, but I want you to tell somebody else in this fellowship how God has given you grace to make risks in your life so far. Because you know what it'll do? It'll boost your willingness to take future risks in obeying God, and it will edify and build up the Christian you talk about your timeline with to do the same. And that's a good thing. Because R.C. Sproul has said well, that truth, faith, always produces real conformity to Christ. And that's what we all want. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you that we can look in this Christmas story and elsewhere in scripture about the risks that believers took because they know you and love you and want you to be made known. Help us to make those timelines of the personal risks that we have taken for your glory and share them with someone in the new year. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.